Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Bedratty. We've been up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan playing a ton of golf this week, checking out a few different courses uh, for the website and the podcast. While up here, I've been rocking a bunch of Bedratty gear on and off the course. The Bedratty polos are without a doubt the best out there. It's been pretty cool up here in the mornings, and sadly, it tells us that fall is coming. These shirts are absolutely perfect for those cooler fall temperatures. Uh, They're the absolute softest shirt I've ever felt, and it comes with this really cool, worn-in, old-school vibe. The style is actually modeled after JFK's, so it's a timeless, iconic feel. My current favorite is the Liam Polo. It's their original model. Uh, One might call it the OG of their product line. Actually, this morning, I wore one uh, along with a ZR, zero-restriction vest out at Gray Walls, and it was perfect for that high 50s morning, which is uh, surely coming in the fall. So, you know, I got a little glimpse up in the Upper Peninsula of what's coming. It looked awesome, and if you want to check it out for yourself, go to www.bedratty.com to shop or check out their Instagram, at Bedratty. That's at Bedratty. This episode, it's a little bit different. We're trying something new here. Uh, Let us know what you think about it. But uh, Garrett Morrison, our managing editor at the Fried Egg, uh, joined. We just kind of talked about our trip to Prairie Dunes and Southern Hills where we OD'd on some Perry Maxwell. Uh, So we just talked about the differences and uh, talked extensively about the recent uh, renovation effort at Southern Hills, which is in line to host some major championships in the near future. So uh, we talked at length about Gil Hans's renovation there at Southern Hills and uh, also our experience over at Prairie Dunes and the golf course and Perry Maxwell and one of the more underappreciated architects in the world. So let us know what you think about this episode. I think we'll do more and more of these about specific courses and architects as, as we go along. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So Garrett, how's uh, how's life in Portland? Life in Portland is great. It's very chill up here. The golf is good, and we're really enjoying ourselves. Yeah, Oregon's awesome. That's that's good. It's uh, how do you find the golf scene there versus uh, Pebble? It's so much different, and in a lot of ways, it's so much better because um, the the golf scene in in Monterey was all about those uh, great courses that were sort of destination courses for people, super expensive to play. If you're a local, you weren't on them very often. Um, And so golf was a very kind of formal thing uh, on the Monterey Peninsula. You know, uh, if you're a local, your your options are kind of like Pacific Grove, uh, Monterey Pines, Poppy Hills sometimes, the, the Black Horse Bayonet courses. And even those places, like 
they're not the cheapest courses in the world. And if you go there, you can expect a, a longish round. Um, and so that's kind of what golf was uh, for me uh, for a few years there. And now, uh, you know, now that I'm in this area, there are short courses, there are pitch and putts, there are golf courses that have like mini golf facilities attached to them. Um, it's a, it's a lot different golf is, you know, there's more variety and it's a lot less formal here. So I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I know a few of the courses in the area already cause my parents live up here, but my dad and I are going to try to play a different course every Friday morning. And so, um, we'll kind of explore this scene that way. But, uh, last week we were at East Moreland, which is a municipal course in Portland. Pretty cool. And, um, yeah, we'll go someplace different tomorrow morning. Oh, that's uh, it's exciting. It's a nice yeah. little tradition, you know. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a good way to kind of take advantage of the golf season because uh, the golf season does end here. Yeah. There's <laughs> there's a there's a point at which you uh, it's it's no longer fun to play golf in Oregon. It gets a little bit too wet, so we're gonna try to get it out of our systems before that happens. So we uh we took a trip uh, a couple weeks ago to down uh did a little Maxwell tour. This is uh your first exposure to Perry Maxwell. I'd seen some stuff. I'd been to Prairie Dunes, so we we dro- we uh went to Prairie Dunes and uh Southern Hills and figured we'd uh reconvene here and talk a little bit about Perry Maxwell and uh and the uh two courses we saw. Obviously, Prairie Dunes iconic place that you know, most people have heard about in Southern Hills, a you know championship course, but had just underwent a Gil Hance restoration renovation. I'm not sure what you would call it. You know, ret- retrovation. He uh, well, restovation is sometimes the term people use, but he said uh, twenty to twenty five percent renovation and seventy five to eighty percent restoration. That's the number he put on it. So what what did you know about Prairie Maxwell? Perry Maxwell, I called him Prairie Maxwell. Um, Perry Maxwell, <laughs> coming into the the trip, and in what kind of were your key takeaways from uh, the architect that you know most people don't know a ton about? Yeah, I knew embarrassingly little about Perry Maxwell going into this trip. I guess I knew that he had designed Prairie Dunes and I was really excited about playing that course. I've been, I've been looking forward to playing that course for many years now. Um, but aside from that, I suppose I primarily knew him as an Alistair McKenzie associate, somebody who helped build uh, a few of McKenzie's courses, um, including Crystal Downs. And so that's primarily where I heard his name. I was aware that there were some great courses that he built in in Oklahoma and in that general region. But uh, aside from that, just didn't know much about him. I guess I had heard the term Maxwell Rolls before, right, which refers to the characteristics of his greens, his his kind of rolling greens. But, um, you know, at the same time, there are a lot of architects who are who are known for bold green contours. And so it, it didn't really stick in my mind as being something distinctive to Maxwell. So that's kind of what I knew before. What about you? Like, what, so you had played had, Prairie Dunes before. I mean, what was your appreciation of, of Maxwell like? And I, I'd seen Crystal Downs too, which he had, right. you know, he was pretty 
um, you know, he's obviously McKenzie's associate there and had a, you know, large role in that golf course. And, you know, I, I think one of the things I take away from Perry Maxwell and I think like Langford Moreau fall into this bucket too, is that we like, we romanticize the golden age architects um, and the ones that get the most love tend to be the ones that designed in the most high profile places and have had their, their designs the best preserved, right? Where like Alistair McKenzie is obviously one of the greatest architects of all time, but he also has the, you know, he has like museum pieces that have been well preserved in, in very high, like Cypress Point is a perfect example of that where it's, on Monterey Peninsula, like it gets, it's got huge exposure and it's perfectly preserved, right? And I think, like, you know, the same thing could be said about like the Rainer McDonald's out east, where they're in these high profile areas and they haven't been that messed up. And I think Maxwell and Langford Moreau are two architects where their designs are in lesser known places, lots of small towns, lots of rural areas. And they also were building golf courses at the very end of the the golden age and had their careers kind of derailed. And a lot of their work, for many reasons, because of where they built it, haven't hasn't been preserved the way you know National Golf Links or Piping Rock or these types of golf courses have out east or Tillinghast work on, on in New York. So I I think they're they're. I think Perry Maxwell, you know, arguably is maybe the most underrated or underappreciated architect in in the in the country uh, of the U.S. architects. Yeah, he might very well be, and I think also part of it is, and you alluded to this by saying that Langford and Moreau and Perry Maxwell both built a lot of courses in rural areas in small towns. Perry Maxwell built most of his courses in the same region in. Oklahoma. I'm not exactly sure how many courses he built in Oklahoma alone, but it was a lot. And so to a great extent, he was a regional architect. You know, that's not to say that he didn't go elsewhere. Obviously, he built Old Town. He, he worked on Augusta National. He did some traveling, especially after he had gotten established as an architect. But the concentration of his work was in Oklahoma in the area where he lived. And I think that regional architects do tend to be underappreciated compared to these globe-trotting architects like Alistair McKenzie or compared to architects who built near huge urban areas. Yeah, like George McDonald Thomas would and be. And, and Thomas, yeah. Exactly. Like his Thomas, you could say, was like a regional architect in a way, you know. Right. And uh, yeah. but but he was building it in L.A. and, you know, build right. these famous championship courses. And I think the same is the same could be said of today's architects. Right. We have a set of globe trotting international architects who often will get to work on some of those courses near big urban centers. And then we also have these architects who are focusing their work in one region. Dan Hickson in Oregon, um, the uh, Colligan design firm, Trey Kemp in, in Texas, you know, and there's a lot of good work going on in these concentrated regional places, but obviously a lot of the attention tends to go to the architects who 
are traveling the world like Tom Doak or Gil Hans or David McClay Kidd. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you, you bring up, and then there's also these guys that now with the way architecture is today is like they have to specialize in in they specialize in a certain thing. So like you know Chris Spence with Ross Restorations or Jeff Mingay has been doing tons of AV McCann work in Pacific Northwest. Like in in see, he's very much yeah he's kind of on this regional model, isn't he? He's mm-hmm. he's uh, a lot of his work is in Washington and and uh, I guess British Columbia. Yeah, it, it's it, it's interesting, and and I think it. I, so seeing seeing two, you know, now very well preserved Maxwell courses, um, you know, with with the original nine. So Perry Maxwell did our original nine at uh, Prairie Dunes for those that don't know, and it it was it's widely considered kind of the last design of the golden age. You know, it it probably argue it's you could argue many, but. You know, it's considered you know kind of like the last great design of the golden age, and and you know, it, and then his his son Press came in and did a subsequent nine that's apparently to the plans that Perry had laid out when when he designed uh, Prairie Dunes in the late '30s. So he did this in the height of the depression in Hutchinson, Kansas, on you know the sandy site, and and uh, did it with pretty much no money. Which is one of the amazing things I think with Maxwell is how many courses he designed during the Great Depression. Yeah, yeah, it's it's remarkable, and he designed his best or best known courses in 1935, 1936, 1937, right? And that was a really hard time to get anything built in America, much less golf courses. But there there were some, I mean, we can get into this further later maybe, but there were some unique circumstances about where he was and who he was uh, that enabled him to do this. You know, he was, first of all, an independently wealthy person. He didn't really go broke like other Golden Age architects did. Uh, and so in some senses, he was an exception and, and took advantage of circumstances in, in his area. Um, nonetheless, he built these courses for for very little money um uh even even at the time yeah you've read maxwell's book i've read some of it uh that uh the midwest associate uh that uh chris clauser yeah chris clauser and i was uh, curious what how did can you give us a little background on perry maxwell Sure, absolutely. I it, now, so I'm definitely not a Perry Maxwell ex, uh, expert. I've just read this this book by Chris Clauser called The Midwest Associate. Um, also read a, a couple of kind of specific things about the Southern Hills and, and Prairie Dunes club histories. But um, from what I was able to gather from Chris, Chris Clauser's book, Perry Maxwell grew up in Kentucky uh, in a wealthy family eventually relocated when he was uh, making a family of his own to Ardmore, Oklahoma, where he worked as a banker for many years. And he was a very well-respected and well-known local person. Um, people all over the region, in fact, knew who he was and, and, uh, and really respected him as a, as a banker and a significant member of the community. Um, while he was still working uh, at the bank in Ardmore, and, and this happened to be actually a very wealthy little pocket in Oklahoma at the time because of the oil money. Um, so there was a lot of money running through there. There were, there were a lot of kind of newly rich people, um, and he was, he was part of that, um, 
part of that cash flow, I guess you could say. Um, he, Perry Maxwell got interested in golf architecture and his first course he actually built on his own land. So that was Dornick Hills. And, um, and it's right there in Ardmore on the, on the Perry Maxwell estate. And that's where he kind of worked out his initial theories and methods of golf architecture. It looks like it used to be one heck of a golf course. I mean, just fascinating. There's still sketches of what the holes look like. It still exists there, but I think in, in very much altered form. Um, and so that's how he got his start. And, you know, from there, he, you know, throughout the 1920s, he was building courses in Oklahoma and the surrounding areas, um, some courses in really remote places and some really rough places, a few sand green courses. Um, and he just eventually developed a great reputation as a golf architect. Um, eventually, Alistair McKenzie heard about him and used him on a couple of projects, including, as you mentioned earlier, Crystal Downs. Um, and then when the Depression hit, Perry Maxwell was one of the few golf course architects who was still really producing significant work. Um, so in 1935, um, he, was, he built Southern Hills in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That opened in 1936. And then right after that, he built the original nine at Prairie Dunes. And those are probably his two best known original designs now. Um, in any case, he's a, he's a remarkable person. There's a lot more to his life story. But um, a couple of the ways in which he's distinct from other architects of the Golden Age, first of all, you know, there were, there were no other you know, architects that we know of now who were in his region or, or anywhere close. And so um, it's just, uh, you know, there's this genius golf architect who came out of, of Oklahoma. Um, he visited Scotland too, you know? That was he, like, yes, that's right. In 1920, I believe. Yeah. So like that, um, I think that's something that, that where you see so many of the, the great golden age architects learned from Scotland. And I, I remember reading, uh, he got, he got interested because of national golf links and he went and talked to, to CB McDonald and then went to Scotland and, and that kind of, uh, it's it's amazing how many you know how the architects that built golf courses in in America that went to Scotland and those that did, like I you know it's just a, a really fascinating dichotomy and it's like you know the most it's seemingly the most prolific ones came either from the UK or went on a pilgrimage to Scotland. The pilgrimage was part of the education, right? Yeah. It was almost a necessary step. And, and I think Perry Maxwell really took the lessons that he learned in, in Scotland to, to heart. You know, he, he um, I, when, whenever he spoke about golf course architecture, he wasn't as prolific in his kind of public speaking about um, or, or writing about golf course architecture as, as Alistair McKenzie or C.B. McDonald were. But um, whenever he did speak about golf architecture, he talked about um, you know, learning from Scottish courses that uh, nature was more interesting than anything that man could create. Um, there's in particular this interview that appeared in the, in the magazine American Golfer in, I think, 1935. Um, and it's just, you know, quote after quote in this interview is just fantastic. Um, so he says things like, it is my theory that nature must precede the architect in the laying out of links. It is futile to attempt the transformation of wholly inadequate acres into an adequate course. Invariably, the result is the inauguration of an earthquake. 
the site of a golf course should be there, not brought there. Um, later on, he says, the less of man's handiwork, the better a course. He was really a fanatic about, about naturalness. And I think that he probably, um, you know, that conviction of his was confirmed by going to Scotland and, and seeing how those courses um, were laid out on the land. Yeah, I think, I, I, I mean, obviously... You see a lot of the way he uses land, the land at, at Prairie Dunes. I mean, he did it with his tiny budget. It's a, it's one of the amazing stories is that he did it with a, essentially an ox and a cart. He built this golf course, and, and the only way you build a golf course that way is by using the natural terrain. And and I think uh, one of the things, you know, there's the, the blindness, and he was kind of the last of the, of the you know, the artists that before we entered this new era of golf architecture where you know the the designs became kind of built versus you know found and uh it's it's an interesting thing i think one of the one of the parts of his legacy that just you know and this is everybody favoring to talk about alistair mckenzie but you know maxwell was so vital in the development and and what today is is augusta national i mean you know, the, the, for example, the 10th hole got, you know, is pretty much entirely Maxwell. He moved the green, yes. you know, 90 yards. That's why there's that McKenzie bunker sitting there in the, in the middle of the fairway. Um, and, you know, also made a ton of modifications on the greens while also being extremely involved in the building of Augusta National. I mean, he was partnered up with McKenzie to do that project. Uh, you know, McKenzie worked with Robert Hunter on the West Coast and pretty much everywhere else he worked with Perry Maxwell. Yes, right. If you go through the that great article that appeared in Golf Digest a couple of years back, the complete changes to Augusta National, and you just go through hole by hole and look at what Perry Maxwell did there, you begin to understand that to a significant degree, that course is the result of a kind of cross-generational collaboration between a number of architects, but uh, very high among those is, is Perry Maxwell. Uh, and especially when you see that 10th green, um, you know, that is a, that is a Maxwell green. There are some other Maxwell greens on that course as, as well. Um, and people often forget that. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Prairie Dunes. Um, what were your impressions of Prairie Dunes? We we spent a couple days there, played it, I don't know, played how many holes? 54 holes about? 45? I think, 45, I think, 45, I think yeah. cause, because that one evening we, we played nine. Yeah, it was it was a very, very hot. It was, you know, end of June, so it was like 100 degrees every day. Um and, uh, you know, the, but the, I mean, I'm, I'm curious as, as somebody that hadn't been there, what, what would you expect and what did you come away, uh, thinking? So I was very excited about playing Prairie Dunes. I had been looking at pictures of that course and maps of that course since I was a golf architecture nut as a kid. Um, and, and I, and I had always thought of it as one of the courses that I, I really wanted to play. It just looked cool. Um, and so I, I was really excited about it. My expectations were very high. Um, <laughs> and they were, you know, completely met by, by my experience at the course. You know, I, I don't, I don't see how they, how they couldn't be. Um, just, uh, w- once you drive into that region of land, right, you, you're sort of, you know, um, 
So it's it's about we, 50 minutes from Wichita. It's we, in Hutchinson. Flew into Wichita, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's Hutchinson, um, Kansas. So, you know, like yeah. the last spot in America that you'd expect a, a great golf right. course, you know. Now, maybe not well, the you, last you, one of the last. <laughs> well, you just don't expect that land to all of a sudden appear out of the prairie, right? You're, you're going around, uh, you, you fly into Wichita and you're kind of driving around there. And it's perfectly lovely and everything, but uh, you just don't see it yet. But then, you know, about 30 miles, 20, 30 miles um, away from Prairie Dunes, you start to see the land rumple a little bit. And you start to see these sand dunes and this, these kind of exposed sandy blowouts. Um, and, and there you are in the middle of the country and, and you see this kind of ocean-shaped stuff. Um, and so that's the first thing that strikes you is just how completely ideal the land is. Um, and, uh, and when you drive into Prairie Dunes, you know, the first thing you see is not necessarily the golf course. You don't necessarily notice that, hey, there's the golf course. It's more like you see this incredible land, these huge sand dunes, these really interesting landforms. And then you start to notice, okay, there are some fairways and greens that are, that are draped across these landforms. Um, and so, um, you know, that was my first impression, just driving down that driveway uh, and seeing the incredible um, undulation of that piece of property. And it's a, it's a really unique looking place because while it, it's sand dunes, right? And, and so it's familiar in the sense that you've seen these kinds of um, undulations on, on lynx courses before, but the flora, the trees and the grasses is very much prairie stuff. And so it's a perfectly named golf course, right? It's prairie dunes. It's not your, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's a typical sand dune, but it's not your typical kind of seaside sand dune look. Yeah. There's like you'd see in Monterey. Hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, or you'd see in Bandon or something. Um, it is its own completely unique ecosystem there. I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, these cottonwood trees and the gunch and, you know, all this stuff. It just looks, it's not just pure seaside stuff. It's, it's something different. It's a hybrid of, of landscapes. Um, and it's really, really striking and really beautiful. Um, and obviously Perry Maxwell was smart enough in building the original mine and, and, you know, uh, to his credit, press Maxwell, uh, allowed this to happen too, that they didn't violate these, um, uh, this terrain. They, they just kind of put the golf course on top of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the, uh, the neat thing. And, and, and I mean, you see it with golden age architecture so much is, is where, you know, with the lack of earth moving equipment, they had, they had, they had no choice, but to use the land. And then you, you know, you can tell with Prairie Dunes, like the effort was so focused on, on the green complexes where they were going to, you know, generate interest at the green and through the land, um, the natural topography, you see those micro contours of, uh, where, you know, you're rarely hitting from, even lies at prairie dunes you know a lot of side hill lies uphill downhills if you're you know especially on you know some select holes where you know the eighth today eighth and ninth holes you know have this unbelievable you know kind of rolling small like eight foot contours to them which create you know all types of different lies and you just you know you hit it and you pray that you get a good one um versus and it's it's much more 
you know, it's a it's a very Lynx feel. I I, I would say it's an American Lynx golf course, um, without a doubt. And and the greens, and I th- I think like you know I, I had always heard Maxwell rolls, and until I really had been to Prairie Dunes, I didn't really understand what that was. But the way he built these rolls is it's so much different and more unique than the shelf that you the shelves you see at you know like your traditional say course that down the street where you'll have like a you know an undulation going up and then it's a flat tier right the way maxwell built them was there you're sloping up and then it hits the peak and then there's a slope on the back so the what makes these greens so unique is when you're on the wrong side of a maxwell roll you have to hit a putt up over a hill and then that's going to run back down a hill in a way so it, it just requires so much more of a a deft touch to navigate than your kind of uphill flat putt that you see at so many golf courses. Absolutely. And and when you are on the greens, you're not thinking to yourself very often, oh, this is an absolutely crazy green or, uh, you know, what an insane green this is. There's a subtlety to them, but the movement is constant on them. Every part of those greens is moving in some way or another. Um, and you start kind of reaching for these metaphors. Are they like potato chips? Are they scalloped? Are they, you know, like uh, there, there's just a, um, a kind of a wonderful unity to, to all those green complexes. And they're just a lot of fun to, to play around because each of them, you haven't really seen them before. You know how you most greens you go to, you can kind of compare them to something else. Each of those greens, especially on the original nine at, at Prairie Dunes is, is pretty unique. Um, and, uh, and really fun to play. Um, it's, it's interesting, yeah. uh, comparing cause you know, at Prairie Dune, so the, the second nine was built by press and you know, they're kind of mixed in or in, in between, in between. So you play, you know, one, two, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 17, 18 is the original nine, but all the other holes are presses nine. Um, and I think like what you see is that you see there's a distinct difference in the greens and the, the press holes are exceptional golf holes, but you can see that the difference in, in the press Maxwell greens in like, and you can just see the different, you know, really like I, you know, you don't want to, but like the skill of, of Perry versus press is so evident uh, in those greens um, because when you're 20 feet away on a press green, you're going to have a very makeable putt. But on a Perry green, 20 feet away, you're going to have you're going to have to hit an unbelievable putt to make it. Yes, the the press greens are are just a, a little bit less complex. Now there are exceptions to this, right? The third green, which is a, a press Maxwell green, is is pretty cool, you know, um, and has some of those characteristics that the Perry greens have. Um, but in general, they aren't they aren't quite as bold. But um, you know, whenever you compare the Perry and the press holes, which is something that is uh, you know you can't resist doing it. You always have to keep in mind, I think, that the press holes, as you and you alluded to this, are still really, really, really good. It's just that that original nine is just about the greatest golf course that I've ever played. <laughs> you know, um, that original nine hole course, every single hole is absolutely brilliant um and so you you can't help but 
make the comparison. But I was wondering, so what what are some of your uh, what are some of your favorite holes at the at, on the course? Whether they're parry holes or or press holes, what are some ones that you would want to highlight? Um, yeah, I I think like the six hole is is maybe my favorite hole hole on the golf course, and obviously I th- I think like. I'd have to say, like, you know, one of the things, it's a terrific course. Like, one of the things that's crazy about Prairie Dunes is it's one of my favorite courses and that I've played. And the simple fact is that, you know, it might be the best course that I've ever played that still can get, like, 20, 20, 30% better just with presentation. Because, like, the six is a perfect example where, like, the mow lines are just... It, it seems like since they... When they hosted the... uh U.S. Senior Open that they never seem to get their mow lines back out, and and just by widening out the fairway, they'd restore so many of the features that are there. And and the six is a perfect example where you know the fairway has you know essentially shrunk to where you know what used to be a central bunker is now in the left rough, and you know then there's another bunker that's you know 20 yards in the right rough. Um, you know the rough out there isn't isn't crazy thick. The the gunch is is horrible stuff but um i think i think the six is really neat it's one of the neatest drive and you know drive wedge par fours that i've played um with the with just the green and I mean, anything and then obviously the eighth hole is tremendous i mean the the terrain we talked about that a little bit and it, it, it's 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 a long par four with I think one of the things out at Prairie Dunes is the amazing thing is you always get wind out there. Um, we played it on like very calm days, but even, you know, one of the days having like a eight mile an hour wind out there is, is much stronger than your typical eight mile an hour wind. And I've played it on days where there's, it's blowing 25 and it's like, you're just praying for dear life. And, uh, I think that's one of the unique things with the, with what Maxwell did was he, he was, you know, afforded the great land he built great greens and then the wind takes care of it like when the wind blows out there it's as hard of a golf course as you could possibly play yes especially with the the gunch the way it is and and maybe we could talk about that more later but the um the the high grass um beyond what's main uh maintained regularly at prairie dunes is stuff where you're often not going to find your ball and if you do find your ball, you're probably not going to be playing it out of it. Yeah. Um, and so if the wind blows and you're not completely in control of your golf ball, you're going to lose a few out there. Uh, and the course gets really hard really quickly. And I think the course, even without a lot of wind, is very, very difficult for somebody who is struggling to hit it straight off the tee. Like it's just going to be a non-starter from the beginning. I know I, you know, for especially the first couple of rounds there, I didn't have great control over my golf ball and, and things just start moving very, very, very quickly. Yeah. That's I think, I mean, obviously the gunch is something they work so hard on, on fixing there. And I mean, it's, it's one of the native areas are one, some of the toughest things to maintain. And, and it's, it's so much better than the last time I was there, but the uh, you know, I, I'd love to see that return. Like you can see with some old photos, they have like this, like kind of chunk sandy with like native in it and they're more exposed sand. And that would be, that'd be cool to see with the sand dunes um, getting a little bit more exposed uh, and thinning that stuff out. But the uh, it's, it, I mean, it's just an amazing place. And, and I think, 
you know that it it kind of sets a it sets the tone well for you know understanding Maxwell. You you get a really good feel there, and then I was I was actually the course that really kind of blew me away was was Southern Hills. I had, I had never been, but I you know watched the PGA and the you know, U.S. Open there or back in the day um, when when Tiger won and then the one that Goosen won. Um, and I, uh, you know, like showing on TV the way it did with the bunkers and the trees, it just, it did not look like an interesting course. And getting out there, I was like, that's, that's kind of where a light bulb went on for me with, with Maxwell and how good he was. Now for a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is powered by TD Ameritrade. Whether on the course or in the market, it helps to have a second set of eyes to keep you on your game. That's why TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk is here to help gut check your strategies so you always feel confident teeing up a trade. Visit tdameritrade.com slash fried egg to learn more about what their trade desk can do for you. Member SIPC. Now back to our talk about Southern Hills and Prairie Dunes. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And Prairie Dunes, you expect to be great. You know, it could hardly help being great with that land. Uh, obviously, the um, the Maxwells um, used the land brilliantly and, and turned that into an unbelievable golf course. But uh, when you go to Southern Hills, it, again, it's a great piece of land, but you, but it's not obviously as as sublime as the sand dunes up in Kansas. And so, walking around that course and seeing how it's put together really brings um, Maxwell's brilliance into relief, I think. All right, so what, are, what were your first impressions of Southern Hills? Now, we got there in the, in the evening, and we kind of uh, walked with the superintendent down onto the grounds. Uh, what were some of your first impressions as we, as we went in there? Because it really does make a first impression. Yeah, it's, you know, it, TV is historic. You know, everybody talks about it. It flattens everything. And I couldn't believe how bland and generic tv and you know i guess kind of the the way the golf course was presented then had made it look because you walked out there and like you're standing on the first tee which you know the clubhouse sits on this high hill and then everything kind of unfolds from there the first tee and the 10th tee go from this high hill and the front nine goes out and kind of spirals around and comes back up the hill. And then the back nine goes off the hill and spirals around and comes back up the hill. And I think like the thing that your first impression is like, holy cow, this is, this is like a grand property. Like that, that seems to be the word that I always, always get fixated on when I'm describing Southern Hills is it's just like a grand place. Like it, it is a true championship course. It's got space. It's, it's, Bull, it's big and it's brawny and and the the land that land in a way reminded me in parts of of Augusta National because it's got this they have this creek that runs through the property and everything around that creek it is is just it's got this really nice movement to it and these big broad um slopes that you know bank you know fairways off of just like you'd see at augusta with like the 13th the the 12th at at um uh southern hills really reminds me of that where it's banking hard on right to left just kind of like the 13th at at augusta and I, i i just i was blown away with the property and um and i think that it it's a course i i can't wait 
to see, you know, major championship golf played at, at it again. Yeah. You just want to see a crowd on that course. Um, and it's going to be a really, really fun place to go see a big championship, I think, because, um, and it probably was, you know, in the 2001 us open and the 2007 PGA championship, but even more now after the restoration, because you can see across that property so well now, I mean, there are still trees, but there are gaps between them. Um, and when you walk down into the Valley from the Hill where the clubhouse sits, um, you can just see in every direction, you can see to the edges of the course, uh, and it's just a playground out, out there. And a lot like Augusta, you know, there are these huge scale slopes and everything generally moves away from the clubhouse and it's bigger than it looks on TV. So those are some similarities with Augusta. But um, the underrated thing is that the routing uh, creates these little areas of activity. Uh, Augusta does that as well. And so if you're watching a golf tournament there, you can camp out in certain places on that course and see action on multiple different greens at once. Um, if you go down by the first green, you'll be able to see what's going on, obviously, on the second tee, but also on the third green and the fourth tee and the eighth green, the ninth tee and the 17th green. And the seventh green is just across the second hole there that's just a hub of activity. And, um, even without anybody there, it's an exciting place to be. You just feel like golf is happening around you. Um, and then there, there are these great kind of greens all clustered around each other. And I, I, so I think that the course creates excitement in that way. It creates a concentration of energy. Um, and so for that reason, it's just going to be a really, really fun way, a uh, fun way, a uh, fun place to see a golf tournament. And I think if it's covered correctly, I think it is shot correctly on TV, that that will really be brought out because now you can see across the property a little bit better. What do you think of Gil's uh, work there in, in terms of the, there were a couple things that he changed to modify for championship golf. You, you wrote a, a great article kind of going in depth about the whole renovation restoration done there. And I, I'm curious, so there were a couple modernizations or some new tees. Um, it's not like put fully back, but, you know, this is a golf course that wants to host champ major championship golf. Right. Yeah, that was the theme of my article that I eventually settled on was how Gil Hans, on the one hand, obviously is committed to restoring golf courses. Right. He's inspired by golden age golf architecture. Southern Hills is certainly an instance of golden age architecture. And so I don't think he would have gone there and not tried to restore as much as possible. Um, and he did in a couple of ways that we can talk about. But at the same time, he was very aware that Southern Hills wants to host major championships in the future. The PGA Championship is going to go to Southern Hills sometime in the next decade, probably 2030, maybe 2025. Hopefully but sooner than later. Like remote, yeah. I know. yeah, 2030 seems like a long way away. But there are some other championships that are going to be held there in the meantime. I believe that, is it the Senior Open that's coming up? Mm -hmm. fairly soon yep it's it's yeah um but in any case uh he 
in, in doing his work there, he was obviously aware that he couldn't completely put the course back to its 1936 form, because if he did that, then it wouldn't really be a 21st century championship golf course. Um, so there would have to be certain changes he'd have to make. And it was beyond just establishing some of those back tees. Now that shouldn't be underrated. Obviously when you, when you put a tee um, back from the original ones, you have to kind of put it on the right angles and, and there's a whole art to that. But there were other things that he did there to accommodate future championships one of which was to, you know, probably the most noticeable change on any given hole was at the seventh hole, which had already been changed, right? Maxwell's original hole at the seventh hole was a dog leg, a fairly short dog leg par four that um, veered up a hill to the left with a green that's right on a boundary. Later on, by the 1960s, the club had moved that green back down the hill making the hole more or less straight away. It no longer veered left. It kind of ended at this green that was in the middle of, of what used to be the kind of crook of the dog leg going up and turned it into sort of a somewhat featureless hole, I guess. The, the drive was still pretty cool because you're kind of trying to carve something into that big left to right slope. And it was kind of like semi-blind. Which yeah, hey, Maxwell liked blind tee shots. Is one thing okay. definitely have picked up on. That's one. I think it's probably one way in which he um, opened up sight lines going into greens, right? Because he didn't move much land, and so if you're going to have any places where there are blind shots, it's going to be on a drive. Because um, generally his sight lines are pretty open going into greens, right? Yeah, really open. I can't yeah. think of any blind. Greens. I don't think, from what I can gather, it doesn't seem like he really believed in in blind or even very much semi semi blind approaches. Um, yeah, I guess yeah. There, there are some greens that if you're on the wrong well, if you're on the wrong side and like you wonder where, like I always wonder where like the first fairway of of Prairie Dunes should be, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah. if you went up the left there, you could be blind over that dune. Mm-hmm. Um, That's one of those mowing lines from the. Uh, the senior the, the senior, senior tournament yeah. that, uh, <laughs> that has been it's really obvious when you when you go there and look <laughs> at it it's just this straight mowing line going right up the middle of what should be the fairway yeah um but uh yeah no you're right it's uh it's, so he he used concealed or open sight lines to reward precise tee shots and and stuff like that um but in general you know his routings are really clever right? he took the land he didn't move much of it but he made the routing work um, in any case, that hole at Southern Hills had been changed. It was now a 380-yard par four. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of of, uh, of difficulty there, right? Most pros, most modern pros were able to hit a hybrid and then still have a short iron into the green. And so uh, Gill, instead of restoring Maxwell's hole, decided to push the green back and put it up against the creek on the right. And what he created there is a really interesting strategic par four. And it can stretch to about 440 yards. It'll be a challenging hole. That approach is not comfortable. And there are some angles in play there. And it's a very, very good and interesting hole and a tough hole. But it's not a Maxwell restoration. That is a Gil Hans hole at this point. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. But if you're a pure restorationist, if you're a hardliner about, about golden age architecture and about the necessity for bringing it back, then that hole might be a site of objection. Yeah, um, I think that hole is really compelling just because of the way the land moves. And, and you know, you 
you're hitting a drive and the further left you go, the, which is, you know, a little bit more aggressive, there's trees. Um, you get a flatter lie, you get rewarded with a flatter lie and a more approach. The way the angle of the green is, if you're over on the right, you've got this left to right uh, lie, a ball below your feet, which, you know, promotes that right miss and the creek is pushed right up against the right edge of the green from there. So like you, your miss is, is right into that creek. Um, and that's, that's a, a, a hole where you, you really, you have to just commit and hit a really good shot into that green, which I think is really good for, for championship golf. And it's going to be a hard hole for members regardless, but like a member who's, you know, you can just hit it up there short and chip on and putt. Like it, it's, it's a real, it, it's one of the Ogilvy always, Jeff Ogilvy always talks about like, you know, hard to make birdie, um, you know, easy par bogey holes like at Augusta and that that's like a quintessential hole I feel like at Augusta where you if you want to make a birdie you really have to have to hit a great shot um and it wouldn't be that hard to hit into the middle of the green and two putt to and make par for a pro um you know granted you made birdie you know (laughs) I I had an unusual hole there (laughs) that was an uncharacteristically well-played hole on my part um but yeah I mean it's playable I I I hit a good drive and that was really what set me up right I had a much easier approach than than you did um but uh in any case that's that's one sort of big change but I, I think we both agree that we like that hole I mean it's it's a it's a cool golf hole I'm not sure what the old one would look like now but um, certainly what, what Gil Hans contends is that having that green that near the boundary now wouldn't really be workable, especially because, you know, the urban Tulsa has grown up around the course since yeah. it was built out in the country, you know, uh, back in 1935. And, and now it is surrounded by, by dense development. And so you can't really have greens as hard against the boundaries. And he did move a couple of other greens away from boundaries, or at least one other, um, the uh, the par 3, 14th hole. Um, and so those are some of the accommodations th- you have to make for what happens uh, I think in, one of in the, the things 20th it, century. It does is it, it gives it a better uh, cadence on the front nine. Like, because it, right. the way the, the front nine flows, and, and it adds a little variety, actually, if, if you know if they restored it back it would you know the fourth hole the fifth hole so there's a par three long par three six um before then the fifth hole is a par five and the fourth hole is a short par four and the the third hole is a medium length par four nothing you know it's it's a it's a It'll short, be a short par, short par, four, par four, for, four. Uh, for the pros. Yeah, I think they'll be hitting short irons into that green for sure. So having a medium to longer par four in that in that spot fits well because the ninth hole is a short par four, all like a shortish par four, and the tenth hole isn't really a, isn't a very long hole either. So like having that in there, it gives it a little bit more uh, variety. So I, I think it, I, I think it's a, I really like that change to be honest. I agree. And I think it's going to be a fun hole to watch. It's a nervy shot, you know, and, um, and you'll, you'll be able to see on TV where they are in the fairway and, and what kind of lie they're facing. Um, yeah, I think it'll be cool. If they were, if, if they were playing the old hole, it would be a pitch up the hill. Um, and no doubt it would be cool, but uh, a completely, completely different kind of golf hole. Um, so another big change that was made and another thing that I kind of focused on in the article was the first hole, um, which is a, a, a long-ish, uh, more medium-length par four 
um, going down from the clubhouse, spectacular tea site right in front of the clubhouse, basically directly outside the clubhouse door. Um, and it goes down the hole and moves to the left along with the kind of right to left sloping land to a really cool green that um, has edges that, that kick away. Um, and the green generally sort of moves away from, uh, from it, the line of play. And it opens from the left side, that green. It opens from the left side, yes. Yeah, so, you and know, so, being on that left side is a big, big advantage. And that was the um, strategic principle that uh, Gil Hans had in mind when he moved the bunkers on that hole. So that hole used to have bunkers on the outside of the dogleg on the right. Robert Trent Jones put those bunkers in in the run-up to the 1958 U.S. Open. He added bunkers in various parts of the course. Not many bunkers, but he did add some fairway bunkers and a few greenside bunkers. Those were among the bunkers he added. He put them on the outside of the dogleg on the right. And as you, uh, as you alluded to, you don't want to be on the right on that hole because that becomes a really hard approach where the green is running away from you. You're hitting over a bunker and you're also hitting toward a back bunker. You're directly in line with those two bunkers and it's hard to hold the green from there. Really. You also have a, the ball above your feet up there. Um, and it's just a, it's just not the kind of shot that you want. You don't want to be hitting a, a hard draw for a right hander down that green right at those bunkers. So you want to be on the, on the left side and that left side of the fairway just had trees on it. It was that that was its defense. It has been widened. Trees have been removed along that hole. And in doing the renovations, Gil Hans could have just taken the bunkers out if he wanted to do a pure restoration. Um, but he decided to put the bunkers on the left side. Now the bunkers are exactly where you want uh, where you want to be on that hole. And so they serve a kind of classic strategic purpose. But it is not a pure restoration. Um, Nonetheless, I can't argue with that change. You know, it's it's a really really good golf hole, and those those bunkers are. You know, if you're going to put fairway bunkers on that hole, that's exactly the right place. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in the short grass, it, that's you know, I talked to Jeff Ogilvy a little bit, uh, you know, off the kind of before. I think it was after we finished recording our last podcast, and I asked him about it, and he was like, you know, just the presentation. Like, if they just had more short grass there. It would have been so awesome in 07. He's like, it's a great, great golf course. And it's like, now they have the short grass. And it's so refreshing to see because, you know, these greens, it, it just accentuates these Maxwell greens. And we talked about Maxwell greens and the rolls with with uh, with Prairie Dunes. At, at Southern Hills, you just see all the greens fall off, you know, in all these directions. And, and then it's just short grass that further repels them away. And and that's going to be a really compelling thing to watch when the senior PGAs that are in 2021 and when they have the PGA is that we've seen this recipe work so well for championship golf is short grass with great land and topography. You know, you think about your Shinnecock hills where you've got short grass lots of fairway but then short grass around greens with repelling edges which is what you see at, at southern hills and then you think like augusta national you got short grass everywhere and a really great set of greens many of which are maxwell greens and i think that's where the what gets me most excited about southern hills is that you're going to see uh, a, a championship course that that has many of the shares many of the characteristics of our favorite 
championship golf courses that we get to see and you know to a certain extent port rush was that way a couple weeks ago for the open championship as well where you had repelling green edges and and really nice topography that that yielded a lot of uneven lies repelling green edges and sometimes collecting green edges right if you're coming in from the right angle sometimes sometimes that short grass can help funnel your ball to where you want it to go um, and that's part of what we saw at Port Rush as well. That was, that was so fun to watch. Um, but it should be said that Hans um, restored the uh, focused on restoring the edges of the greens at, at Southern Hills. A lot of the interior contours of the greens had previously been put back. So Hans was able to kind of focus on the edges and a lot of work had been done on those edges. And generally what you see are contours that kick away and that um and the and the kicking away effect is enhanced by the amount of short grass that is around the greens now and there are these expanses of short grass you look at that first green everything in every direction is short grass um, and so that's going to be extremely uncomfortable because if you miss your ball is going to kick away and it's going to keep rolling um, and we've we've seen that be a very uncomfortable proposition for for good players um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be a, a really, really fun one to watch. I guess the big question here, and you know, I didn't really dive into this too deeply in the article, uh, because maybe I don't really know the answer, but do you think that Southern Hills would be a better golf course if there were not the imperative to prepare it for championship golf? If it just didn't, if it didn't want to host major championships, if there weren't that pressure on it. And, and that wasn't part of the thought process in restoring slash renovating it. Do you think it would be better? I, that's an interesting question. Um, like, I think the seventh hole is really good. And that's like a, you know, one of the things. And I think the first hole, like you alluded to, it makes way more sense with those bunkers on the left. Like, if it was bunkerless, it would be more playable. Um, I guess the question would be like, do you think there'd be more, even more short grass and more trees removed if there, if it, if it was not had no qualms about hosting major championship golf? Maybe there'd be more trees removed. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the tree removal is not radical there. It's definitely, there's definitely been tree removal. <laughs> there's a definitely lot, yeah. been, been enough, like a lot of tree removal because that, that place used to be very heavily treed. Um, there are still trees in play on the whole. That's that's part of the penalty for missing the fairway. And there is there's a significant amount of rough. The fairways aren't endlessly wide. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if these things would necessarily make the golf course better. But um, if so, there weren't the that, pressure to host championships, yeah, maybe it would be different. Something that gets me with it, this discussion. It's it's so such an interesting discussion. And and when you think about golf courses, like. One of the things that stood out to me with Southern Hills is usually when I go to play a championship golf course, like I know I'm in for like a day of just getting beat up, you know, like where, and I had like a lot of fun at Southern Hills where like, it's just because of the short expanded short grass and the, and there's enough width out there that I didn't feel like it was as exacting it was still extraordinarily difficult, but like it wasn't that un- that not fun difficult where you're like, okay, I have to hit this drive absolutely perfect. And you felt like you had opportunities to get the course. Um, 
and you know take this with a grain but like it was actually like the champion like in terms if you put championship golf courses in a bucket it was as fun as i've had anywhere like up with like shinnecock's one another example of this where shinnecock is so hard but you feel like you can score out there like you know nothing is is unfair nothing like it's not overly hard but it's just really hard if that makes Mm -hmm. sense well yeah I, i think it depends on where the difficulty comes from Right now, the difficulty at Southern Hills is going to come significantly around the greens, right? And around the awkwardness of some of the approaches, the way that the slopes and the undulations work to give you some stances that just aren't going to be what you want them to be. They're not what you're going to see on driving ranges and into greens that are, that are kind of oriented uh, against or away from, um, from, those, from those lies. Uh, that's where the challenge really comes from. And that is kind of a fun sort of challenge. Like personally, I don't mind getting beat up around the greens. I don't mind uh, seeing my ball kind of go offline because I've had an interesting lie. What really beats you down is looking for your ball, right? Mm-hmm. Losing balls, uh, you know, getting, getting stuck deep and rough and just not being able to get out, hacking out all day. That, that kind of difficulty really wears down on the amateur. Um, and I don't think there is a whole lot of that at Southern Hills. You know, the rough is significant, right? You have to, it settles down in that, in that kind of woolly rough out there. That Bermuda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, uh, like it's not easy rough by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But you find your ball quickly. But you find your ball and you have, you usually have a chance to play out because there are gaps between the trees. And so you, you always have a shot. Even if, even if you really shouldn't maybe take the risk, you always feel like you have a shot at it. And that little bit of hope that the course gives you is pretty key to enjoyment, right? Because if, there's just, if you're just hacking out and if you're in a forest, there's no hope. There's no fun in that. Um, and, uh, and so I think that's what, that's what Southern Hills, uh, what Southern Hills offers and, and why it is fun even for, even for somebody like me. Do you, do you think it would be better if it wasn't a championship course? If they had no qualms on it? It's a, that's an unsettled question to me right now. Um, so I don't think it necessarily would be a lot better. I'm, I'm trying to imagine a counterfactual restoration that doesn't even take in, into account the, uh, uh, the championship status of the course. Um, if the course were put exactly back to what it was in Maxwell's time, um, then there would be probably fewer trees out there. The rough would probably be maintained differently. The creek would be different, um, right, in appearance. But, um, you know, speaking of the creek, right, there are places where that creek looks pretty polished, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's a kind of modern look to it. There are a few waterfalls here and there, you know, things like that. That used to be a rugged, mostly dry creek. And I think that that would be cooler, <laughs> right? It, it would be uh, to have a Barranca restoration like they did at Los Angeles Country Club would definitely be, um, I, I don't know, would fit, fit my eye a little bit better, would fit my preferences a little bit better, but wouldn't necessarily fit everybody's preferences. Um, and so there are a few things out there uh, that, 
you know, I kind of raised an eyebrow at, but um, eventually came to understand, you know, that the creek, for instance, right, it's, there's just going to be more water in it now because there's more water in that general area. Yeah, the development. All kinds of pavement and concrete around the course that used to just be um, uh, land that would absorb moisture. Now there's a lot of water that moves through that creek system. And of course, they use more water to maintain the golf course now than they did in the 1930s. And so, um, yeah, I mean... Would I want to play the 1936 version of the course? Absolutely. I mean, that would be awesome. I think, that, I think that's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, what place is that not true of? Um, and so I'm not sure it's necessarily possible to imagine a pure restoration of that golf course. That said, you know, we've both seen Gil Hans's work, uh, Hans Golf Course Design's work at Los Angeles Country Club. Um, and that, that restoration is pretty historically faithful. Um, obviously, there were a few changes made to, to accommodate the modern game. The golf course is quite a bit longer, et cetera. Um, but uh, that, those, that bunker restoration was, uh, was more rugged. And of course, I'd referred to the Barranca before. Um, and so, you know, uh, Southern Hills has more of a polished look. And, uh, you know, if it, if it weren't hosting championships, maybe there wouldn't be so much pressure to make the course look kind of Augustified. That said, it looks awesome. Like, it, you know, th- this feels nitpicky. Um, but, uh, something I really thought was interesting, like if you talk to people and ask them about Southern Hills, most of, you know, a lot of people like, I, we live in this culture with like Instagram and where par threes are like glorified and like the cat's meow, you know, like everybody, because it's like the the only sixteenth hole, Sleepy Hollow, yeah, Pebble the, Beach, seventh hole. You know. It's like the only hole you can take a picture of and you can see the whole hole, right? You know, yeah. easily and discern yeah. it easily. So like par threes, I feel like have become like the darling of like how you judge a course. And, and, and a lot of people would, would say that the par threes are, are the weakness at, at Southern Hills. People would say, Oh, they're bland. But a part of me thinks the par threes at Southern Hills all connected the other golf course. So they were the holes that kind of navigate are on edges of the property like where Maxwell got into corners, either get him out of the corners or, you know, we see with the 11th, which is a tremendous short par three, you know, that 10th hole navigates this like really severe land. And from where the 11th tee is that that lands almost too severe to even put a hole that wouldn't be a par three. And it, it's like the par threes out there are, are the holes which make the fives and the fours. And, and I think that's really the strength of Southern Hills is, is they have great par fives and great par fours. And it, those are the holes that make those holes so great because they got Maxwell to the spots he needed to be to, to get the par fours playing the way he wanted. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The, the par threes do seem to serve a kind of connecting function and they occupy some kind of awkward corners of the property. They're all at the edges of the property. And uh, two of them are right at corners of the property specifically. The 11th hole is probably the most natural par three in there, as in the land seems most naturally suited to a par three, right? Par threes are good places to put, um, uh, to put holes on, on really severe land. 
right? Uh, and and that's the case at the eleventh hole. You wouldn't be able to put another kind of hole on that land, I don't think, without moving a lot of it. Some of the other par threes are kind of on um, flattish pieces of land, I guess. Uh, the eighth hole is is on this. Uh, you know, more or less nondescript tract of land that connects the seventh hole to the ninth hole. Um, the 14th hole, the par three, runs along the boundary of the property. It goes downhill a little bit. But again, you know, if you were walking this land before the golf course was built, you wouldn't necessarily go to that piece of the property and say, oh, that's obviously a par three. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, I think you put the rest of the routing together and then you realize that you have space for a par three in a certain place. And that is, yeah, I mean, I, I think in order to make the routing work the way he wanted to, and in order to have some of those great longer holes in order to get the greens returning to that, that, uh, uh, gully that runs through the center of the property. Um, there's a, there's, you know, a collection of really interesting contours that runs through the center of the property and he put a bunch of greens and tees on there and fairways and fairways yeah like fairways landing areas the yeah that's yeah. what i thought i was thinking and about 16. it was, it's interesting because like that's what you see it they it's this narrow property and the way he used that the interesting topography in different ways and like the way he was able to there was it seemed like it was a pretty abrupt shelf that would go like there was like this almost like you have the creek where the creek is in a in a flat but then there was a shelf and how many ways he used that shelf in landing areas is really amazing I um, agree, yeah you know like the 17th uses it the 18th uses it the 10th uses it the um 12th uses it by the green but then like the the thirteenth and sixteenth use that that shell like it's right in the middle of the drive landing area, and it, it and it makes it makes for just really odd lies like you know like you're having like on a par five having to hit into a green from an upslope to you know you've got two thirty and you're hitting from an upslope into a green with water short of it. That's a really uncomfortable shot to hit. Yes. Yeah. Um, or As a downslope, furthermore. I'm 16. Yeah. The long par four, you have the same situation or the landing area. And, and it's not just that it's a straight gully, right? Obviously, there used to be water that, that ran through there and that carved the land. But what happened as the water moved through there over the centuries is that it created not just a straight water course, but all of these super interesting contours, these billowing landforms around itself, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's what you get on those two landing areas that you're talking about. It's not just a straight scoop. It is these, you know, wavy undulations suddenly in the middle of what's generally a pretty smooth piece of land. It's a sloping piece of land, but the contours are generally long. When you get to that part of the uh, property that we're talking about, where there used to be that water course, it becomes, there's a lot more micro contour. You see those going into the 17th hole as well, right? Uh, Where again, there are these wavy contours that have been carved by water over time. Um, And it's, uh, yeah, he used that over and over and over again. And to return to the point earlier, I think that in order to use it in the way he did on those long holes, he he couldn't have par threes in the middle of the property. He needed to have those longer holes in the middle of the property. 
and yeah. the par threes needed to be pushed to the edges. Yeah, as we've talked about this, I've started to like think about it's like Prairie Dunes has that that wavy that contour where it's really unpredictable. You could have a you could have the ball could be below your feet or above your feet depending on what side. It it has that unpredictable nature that you see in in the areas where the water used to run through at Southern Hills, what we're, we, you were just talk, alluding to. And then Augusta National has that, just like that general, like, it, it, you know, the land moves one way, right? And it's just this big, broad slope that, that the holes are carved around it. And Southern Hills is kind of like a mixture of the two between Augusta and, and Prairie Dunes, where there are these pockets of really, you know, flowy, micro contours that you know have you don't know what when you hit the ball in there you have no clue whether you're going to have be on an upslope a downslope which side slope you'll have and that's like that's like prairie dunes but then for the most part the property is more like augusta national with these big broad slopes that leave you with these severe sloping lies you really see the big broad slopes on that sequence of holes that goes out to the par three um 11th right the 10th 11th and then the returning 12th hole where um you can just clearly see when you're standing below it that that was a lovely river valley right just beautiful sweep of land and and you just he he just laid out three lovely golf holes on it Um, but those are broad smooth slopes um and yeah in the at, at other parts of the property there's it's crazier and it's amazing how many times, how many different ways he used those uh, those fun landforms in the middle of the property. Yeah, um, the, you just go back to it a lot. It's like the exterior of the con- uh, the property has the big broad slopes, and then the interior yes. had the the like the randomness because like you think about the par five fifth has that slope from left to right, you know, and you're hitting into a green that you know, it, it, with a creek right. And then seven is the same way, you know, with it hard left to right. And that's on a, on an edge of the property. It's, it's really interesting to think about in terms of how how that property laid out. Uh, it, I mean, it's a stunning property. I, I, I'm That place, I was not expecting to, to be a, as enamored as I was with Southern Hills when, when we decided to go there. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great golf course. It's a stunning golf course. And, um, I think that I, you know, I hope that now that it's opened up a little bit, that there's more short grass that you can see across the golf course, better see multiple holes at once that it'll become more apparent. I think the bunker, the aesthetics of the bunkers are going to make a huge difference for the television product too. Mm -hmm. As much as like, you know, I hate that, but like, you know, like the old bunkers just looked like, Bunkers you'd see at, at your $15 Muni, you know, <laughs> like perfectly <laughs> circular. Saucers. Yeah, saucers. Yeah. And, and like yeah, now they, they have, have these raised lips and yeah. And now they have at least a little bit of character. I, it, to me, that's what that that the work done is it brought it kind of like brought to life so much of the 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 greatness of the property and the character of the golf course. Right. And, and before with those saucer shapes and the way that they were all kind of tilted up toward the line of play, your eye immediately went to them, right? That's all you saw is this really white sand in these scoops out of the course. 
and they drew the eye and because they were fairly bland in their shape that was just your impression of the course right these these little scoops part of the restoration was bringing down the edges of the bunkers a little bit there had been a lot of build up over the years and so the edges of the bunkers the lips of the bunkers i should say are not as high and so as a result they're not the highest points on holes now often the greens are the highest points on holes and I think that makes a big visual difference because instead of just fixating on these circular or oval bunker shapes with the white sand in them and having that be your impression of the golf course, your eye can be drawn to a number of different features. The bunkers, the, the green edges, you know, there are things, there are other things that attract your attention. The you know creek, I mean? yeah, the creek, yeah. Uh, you know, which creek runs has with... been exposed a lot more and the creek has been extended across a couple of holes, right? Mm-hmm. I, like it wasn't running across the 17th hole before. It wasn't running across the 10th hole before. Now, you know, that that creek has an influence on on play on those holes. Yeah, up the fourth, the right side of the fourth fairway too. Yes. So it, just to give a little bit more thought off the tee, on those holes i think the 17th hole is one of my that green's really really nasty and it's just yeah. got that great land or yeah. you're just banking left or right you you like want to get it up way up left i, I mean it, that that's what probably to me maybe the most compelling hole out there is the 17th and it's cool to have that short par four uh coming down the stretch uh of a major right before just a, a ball buster of a par a par four up the hill That'll be fun to watch the 17th. Yeah, it's a, it's a short par four. And if they put tees in a certain place, uh, players will be able to drive it up by the green a little bit, but um, they'll be probably aiming left of the green. And if you're left of the green up there, that's a really, 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 really hard shot. (laughs) You know, you might not hit the green from 15 feet away from it over there. Um, but equally, if you're on the wrong little micro contour in that fairway and, and you have a, a nasty lie with the ball below your feet and your right hander and you're trying to hit a, a feely little pitch into that green off of the fairway grass, that's an incredibly intimidating shot, too. Um, and, and the green is kind of oriented, uh, you know, uh, diagonally away from you, kind of like a 10 o'clock facing green uh, with a bunker in front of it i mean it's and it, it repels off on all the edges it's just it it i i had a mental breakdown in that fairway like i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> hit i couldn't hit the ball cleanly on my pitch and uh it, yeah it, it's just intimidating yeah yeah that's a cool hole i i it's it, i'm excited i uh i just uh you know the trip i it was such a i always enjoy going and seeing courses based like going on trips where you see a lot of one architect and and i'm really excited to go do see more maxwell like i you know it's like oklahoma is like actually like on my travel radar for like i'm i need to go see six courses there you know yeah all maxwell like and and that's that's the unique thing is like starting to understand this guy more you you see see him at augusta you see him at you know the crystal downs has a heavy Maxwell influence, but then, you know, Prairie Dunes and, and Southern Hills are both really good representations of his work. Um, I mean, how would, how would you split 10 rounds between those two courses? <laughs> I'm putting you in the uncomfortable That's spot. That's a tough question uh, because 
my my impulse would be to say six or seven prairie dunes and three or four southern hills um and that's no slam on southern hills because prairie dunes is just I mean, it's it's unbelievably sublime out there, uh, and uh, and just a completely unique place. But here's the thing: because at because the mowing lines are currently what they are at, at Prairie Dunes, and we touched on this a little bit, but um, you know, there are some places where it, there seems to be some fairway expansion in order. Um, and the, the gunch is, is really, really hard to play out of. I do think that playing a lot of rounds at Prairie Dunes does uh, tire you out a little bit or tire me out a little bit um, because, uh, you know, I'd, you'd you be have to ball. drive the ball so well. Yeah, you have to be really, you, you have to be really precise off the tee. And if you're not, it becomes a very, very long round there. And that's a, you know, I don't know, it's kind of a weird complaint to lodge because it's such a unbelievable golf course. But I think if you're playing a lot of rounds someplace that you don't want to be losing a ton of golf balls, right? Um, and that, that it would kind of beat you down after a while. So I'd say in their current form, Southern Hills and Prairie Dunes, I think I'd, I know this sounds like a cop-out. I think I'd split the rounds evenly. Um, you know, it's it's an enjoyable round of golf at Southern Hills, and that course is closer to maximizing its potential. I think that Prairie Dunes is right now. Yeah, yeah, I, that's like the thing that I, I'm a dreamer, so I always think about this stuff, like you know, and what courses could be. And I think Prairie Dunes could be so insanely good, like you know, where you talk about it with like the biggest names in golf. If Up they, there in the yeah. top five, right? Yeah. If I mean, like, legitimately, like you know, you could run down the rattle, you know, the the best courses in the country, and in Prairie Dunes is like belonging of like if it gets if it maximized what it could be um, with the fair. And, and the thing about Prairie Dunes is like it's the easiest work, it's the lowest hanging fruit. Like you just have to go out there and like be like, okay, we just have to mow this, <laughs> you know. Um, the lines are kind of there, right? You know, like if you look at the 17th hole right now at Prairie Dunes, unbelievable golf hole. Uh, if if you just move, mow the fairway out to the gunch, then all of a sudden you have basically what, what you need. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it wouldn't make the golf course any easier. Oh, absolutely not. Like, that's the thing is like, it would just make it way more interesting. You'd probably see more people hitting it in the gunch because they knew they could, they could hit it over to a certain side and it would just create so many, so much more, you know, so many more options. I hate saying options, but like the, the holes would become so much more compelling and there are a extraordinarily compelling holes. Like I, I drive the ball usually really well, so I, I would probably play like six, six or seven rounds, four or three. And I love, I, I love Southern Hills. I just that that Prairie Dunes, uh, Prairie Dunes is just a place that's. I think with the way the course changes and how it plays, and you didn't get to see it in a different different wind. Like the trip I made the time uh, before, we had a warm warm couple of days and then we had the north wind come and it was just a completely different golf course so the the weather aspect of prairie dunes is amazing because the golf course gets variety day to day just by the way the way the wind's playing it's a completely different golf course like yeah. you know like the seventh hole is this par five that when it's warm it plays dead downwind and it's like you know if you if you hit the if you hit it 
long. It's like a driver, like short iron into this par five. But then when the wind flips around, all of a sudden it's like, that's a very, that's a three shot hole. And it's very, very hard. The drive is terrifying. The layup's terrifying. And that's, that's a hole that could use a lot of width on the layup because like most days, no good players ever laying up in the layup. There is one of the hardest shots on the golf course. And it's, it's reserved for, you know, the, the 10 handicap, 10 plus handicaps. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point that, um, day-to-day variety at Prairie Dunes would be, would be tough to beat. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that golf course is, is, is so good. It is on a different level than Southern Hills just because of the land really. And we should also also mention that the club at Prairie Dunes is a lot of fun and pretty distinctive because it's not, you know, Southern Hills is a great club as well, but you use the word grand, it has a grand club clubhouse, uh, a and it is a grand membership. Prairie Dunes is very different, right? It's a it's a lot more unassuming, and it is just kind of the local Hutchinson club. While we were there, it was very hot, and the local kids were all gathered around the pool. Yeah. Right. They were all there just playing. This was their country club. This is this is just where they go. This is where the activity is. Um, oh yeah, there happens to be a world class golf course here too. And I really liked that feel of the club. I, well, I liked it's the like fact it, that it was woven into the local community and that the dues for for the members there, the local members there, are are affordable enough so that people can belong to it. I think that's a it's a difference also. Just like you know, if Prairie Dunes was in. Tulsa yeah it would it it would be the it would be just the way Southern Hills is like Southern Hills is the big club for the for the city you know and anytime you go into any city you know Southern Hills is similar to your you know your ritzy club at at any city and Prairie Dunes is like a small small town club and that's it's yeah it's got a charm and it's got it's got character that very few great golf courses have because most great 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 golf courses like we talked about at the outset are located in big cities and those great golf courses become you know have a similar feel to them across them where it's you know and and that's where prairie dunes is so unique that's a good great point yeah no it was a fun place to be and uh and you know if you have 10 rounds and you get to spend them at Prairie Dunes and, and Southern Hills, you, you can't really go wrong no matter what you do. What if we um, threw Cottonwood in there? Uh, the Nick Aldo <laughs> course down the street. Oh no. I, I was wondering whether you would bring it up. Yeah. There's a, there's a Nick Faldo course near, near Prairie Dunes in um, really, really, really great land, like uh, sort of Prairie Dunes style land. Um, and you know, Nick Faldo was out there on a bulldozer, obviously. Uh, and well, probably not, but, uh, in any case, we, we drove in there and, and took a look around and, um, Cottonwood National. Yeah. Cottonwood National. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There were some, there good, were, there was some containment mounding going on. There were, yeah. there were the unbelievable natural dunes and then also, also containment mounding. Yeah. It was, uh, but yeah, this uh, we'll probably do more of these. We'll just talk about golf courses. Um, but uh, oh, let, let us know what you think about it. This is uh, and uh, 
you know, Garrett will be back on re- pretty regularly. And uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was our trip to, to uh, Maxwell Land. I'm I'm eager to get back. Maybe maybe to New Maxwell Land later uh, later this year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are a lot of places to go, but um, That's a, one of the great things about Maxwell is tons of places are public. Yeah, tons of public Maxwells. If you go deep in a certain region in Ma- if you go deep in Oklahoma um, or North Carolina, Ma- yeah, or North Carolina, you'll you'll find yeah places to play for sure. Yeah. So, all right, we'll uh, we'll reconvene and uh, good talking to you. All right. Thanks, Andy.